Well, let's look in uh, Philippians, Philippians uh, chapter 3. Uh, I want to share a lesson. Uh, it's going to be uh, this week and next week. It's a two-part message, actually, uh, entitled Living Abundant Life. And uh, we certainly want to live an abundant life. Jesus said, I've come to give you life and give you life more abundantly. Uh, but I find many times people aren't living an abundant life. And so I want to consider some thoughts and uh, concepts of uh, how we can um, live as if we are truly on the winning side and uh, living an abundant life. Philippians chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord uh, uh, to write the same thing to you. And to me, indeed, is not grievous, but for you it is safe. Beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of the concision, uh, for we are the circumcision uh, which worship God in the spirit and rejoice in, Je in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. Though I might also have confidence in the flesh, if any man other than thinketh that he hath whereof he might trust in the flesh, I more circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as touching the law of Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, uh, touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. But what things were gained to me, those I counted lost for Christ. Yea, doubtless, and I counted all things but lost for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung that I might win Christ and be found in him not having my own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and of the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. If by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead, not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after, if that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press towards the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus." So at verse 8, we're going to kind of build our lesson off of the thought process there. He says, Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung that I may win Christ. And so Paul had a focus on the Lord uh, and was committed completely. He wanted to get the knowledge of Christ, the excellency of the knowledge of Christ. He wanted to grasp all that, grasp all that Jesus was to him and uh, what he could be to him. He did not want to miss out on one thing. And uh, certainly our desire ought to be that whatever the Lord has for us, we want to get it. We want to enjoy it. We want to experience it and uh, live our life to a life of abundance, spilling over, if you will, uh, with the knowledge of all that Christ is. Uh, for a Christian not to live pursuing that and going in that direction is to fall short of what God wants to do in our life. I believe God wants to reveal himself to us, and I believe he wants to reveal himself to others through us. And uh, we just need to surrender our life completely 
uh, to the, in the realm of being uh, filled with the fullness of our God. Paul's writing about his personal desires or objectives in his life and in his ministry. And uh, I might say this, that those two things ought to be the same. My life is my ministry. My ministry is my life. And oftentimes what we do is we kind of live those things apart from each other. You know, I have my life I have to live, but then maybe on Sunday or Wednesday or whatever, I have my ministry that I'm involved in. But the reality is for the believer in the fullness of the concept of who Christ is and what he does in our life, the abundant life involves this matter of my life and my ministry being consumed of each other. That's who I am. And uh, we, I thought it was interesting, Mark Mandarando on Sunday was talking about uh, Catholicism in Ireland. Uh, that's their identity. If they're, not, if they're not Irish, if they're not Catholic. And I know when we went over to Ireland several years, quite a few years ago now it's been, and we were going out door-to-door -door soul winning, and that's one of the things very quickly I picked up on. I mean, you ask them to be born again, that's asking them to stop being Irish. That's asking them to stop being who they are. And the reality is it's such a connection with their religion and their life, it's bonded together. But it's like we Christians want to live our life to ourselves and then just kind of plug ministry in where it fits in our life. No, it's supposed to be a part of the same thing. And Paul is writing the book of Philippians from a prison cell with joy and rejoicing in all that God was doing in his life because of the fact that he counted everything lost for the cause of Christ. And his life was consumed with who Christ was. He was striving to be able to abound in the excellency of the knowledge of Jesus Christ. And so first of all, in your introductory thoughts there, letter A says he mentions what he was willing to lose. In verse 7 it says, but what things were gained to me, those I counted lost for Christ. And so if I want to abound in my Christian life, I want to abound in the knowledge of who Christ is, there's some things I got to give up. There's some things I got to let go of. There are things that have to change. And so what are you willing to lose so that you can gain an understanding of the fullness of Christ? Because you don't get, you don't get it both ways. And that's all there is to it. Girl in my office years ago wanted to talk to me about being saved. She was under conviction. And uh, I told her, she said, I just want to know if I get saved, uh, do I have to give up my friends? And I said, well, no, you don't have to give up your friends. I said, but the problem is this. If you get saved and you start living for Christ, your friends are going to give up you. And uh, she said, well, I can't do that. And I said, so you're telling me it's more important for you to maintain that established relationship, friendship with your friends who are unsaved and really do not care about your good uh, health or welfare at all. But it's more important for you to connect with them and hold to them than to give your life to Christ. See, she was counting what it was going to cost her. And I told her, I said, you don't need to do anything to be saved. You just have to have faith to be saved. You can trust Christ for what he's done in, on Calvary for you. And your life will be completely changed, but you will lose some things that are in the world. 
And Paul said he was willing to lose those things, uh, count it but loss, so that he might be able to win Christ. And so he mentions what he was willing to lose. When we talk about abundant life, there's got to be some things that you got to lose. But also he talks about what he was, his desire was to gain. In verse 10, he says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable until his death. Uh, Paul said, I know I gave up some things, but I know I'm going to gain some things also. And uh, what, a, what a privilege it is that when we give up on things in the world, that we can gain the presence of Christ and the reality of God in our life. The power of the resurrection. And I mean, God is a powerful God and he can work in your life and it just as well as he can work in my life. And so uh, we have to determine, okay, I know I'm going, willing, well, I'm going to be willing to give up some things. Jesus said, no man putting his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. And so I'm willing to lose some things. Why? Because I'm desiring to gain some things. And what I desire to gain is the power of the resurrection of Christ working in my life. Not only does he talk about the, what he was willing to lose, what he was desiring to gain, but he recognizes the cost. In uh, verse 13, he says, Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth to those things which are before. He's already counted the cost. Uh, he is aware of the changes that have to take place, and uh, he's going to let go of the past, and a lot of times, I just see this, a lot of times people can't grow in the Lord because they won't let go of the past. And not just so much that we want to be in the past, uh, although that does happen in a lot of people's lives, but many times it's because of the fact we keep condemning ourselves because of the past. And if Christ has forgiven us, then I think you can forgive yourself. If Christ has set us free, I think you can walk in the newness of life that we have in Christ. Uh, there was a cost that was paid, and that was Christ wiped away our past because we have a new life that's in him. And so uh, he talks about what he recognizes the cost. And then in verse 14, he sees clearly the goal. In uh, verse 14, I press towards the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. So he had a goal uh, in, his, in his mind, on his heart. And that goal was the excellency of the knowledge of Christ. He wanted to live an abundant life. And he wanted to go into a realm of uh, focusing on God that would change and revolutionize his life. We're going to be having a prayer advance here, not a prayer advance, prayer conference here uh, in, the, in the spring for the men and also for the women um, it, that is a great opportunity for you to be able to get removed from everything in life. Just kind of put everything on hold for two days and just say, I'm going to focus on Christ and I'm going to focus on my God that I might be able to uh, gain the knowledge of who he is and what he wants for me in my life. Those two days will be the most important days of your year next year. Because of the fact that you'll be like the Apostle Paul saying, I want to abound. I want to excel in my knowledge of who Christ is. Well, you got to put some things on the shelf. You got to put some things to the side. You got to sacrifice some time and maybe some effort and maybe some money. 
and be able to be in a position where you can get in an environment where the presence of God is there. And so I believe it'll be a life-changing experience. And so uh, Paul talks about this matter of excellency. Uh, first time he out, uh, 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 talks about excellency in chapter 2 of 1 Corinthians, he downplays his own ability. In uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 1, he says, And brethren, when I came to you, uh, came not with excellency of speech or wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God. And so when Paul starts to talk about the knowledge of Christ, the excellency of Christ, uh, the wisdom of Christ, he first off starts out with downplaying his ability. He did not want to, them to think the things he was communicating to them was based on his own intellectual powers, but rather he wanted them to know he was abounding in the knowledge of who Christ was, and the words that he was speaking to them was coming from God and not from him. So he downplays uh, his ability uh, to be able to experience God. Then in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, in verse 7, the second time he elevates the power of God. In uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 7, he says, But we have this treasure in earthen vessels. And he says, This is why, that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. And so God has so designed uh, his work in us uh, to take place by uh, giving us his presence and giving us his power uh, to be able to overcome all the inabilities that we have. And that if any good will come out of our life where they'll bring glory to Christ, it will be not because of who we are, but because of who our God is and how he works in our life. And so the second time he elevates the power of God. Then in our passage where we read in Philippians, in our text verse, verse 4, he's talking again about the excellency of Christ. Uh, the third time he acknowledges the sovereignty of the knowledge of God. And God is the one who is in control. Christ is on the throne. And uh, his will and uh, his way in our life is, needs to have that priority or establishment in our life that God knows what is best and God will work his will. And so the abundant life is living completely under the sovereignty of Christ. And uh, if the ability, power, and knowledge of Christ is superior to anything in the world has to offer, uh, then it behooves us uh, to follow the biblical guidelines for living an abundant life. And uh, I'm not talking about a charismatic thing. I'm just talking about the simple biblical truths and what you can apply into your life to be able to be uh, beyond beyond what Christ, uh, uh, the, what the world thinks of Christ and beyond what the uh, 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 working of your own life is. And you look at the life of Christ as being superior to everything else, being sovereign in control of everything in your life. And so that means when tragedy comes, I can still rejoice. When Paul was thrown in the prison, he could still rejoice. When whatever goes on in our life, we, don't, we aren't floored by it. We're not ruined by it. But we understand that through that, we're going to be able to gain some understanding about the working of Christ in our life. So living an abundant life. First of all, I believe it in, involves 
this matter of being a habit and not an act. In other words, abundant living isn't just something all of a sudden you do one day. It, abundant living is a life that you live consistently on and on and on and on and on. You develop a pattern for living. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, in verse 58, says, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. And so developing a, a habit of living your Christian life. And uh, you, you have to get into the realm of uh, uh, things that are just and good and right uh, and that are godly and holy and righteous are things that need to become a part of our life that is exercised each and every day. I realized when I got saved and God was working on my heart, took the alcohol away, but I was struggling with the cigarettes. I realized this, the biggest problem with getting over smoking cigarettes was the habit of work smoking the cigarettes. And because every time you, you know, you just had certain times you'd light up a cigarette. And, uh, and when you didn't do that anymore, it was like something was vacant and missing in your life. And I had to get over that habit. And I found this, that in the Christian life, God wants us to develop godly habits that demonstrate the character of Christ. And so I can live an abundant life based on developing those character traits. So number one, notice he says in this verse, a bee is steadfast. So the fill is just steadfast. What does that mean? It means to be seated and not moving about. And uh, I know uh, sometimes in our Christian school, uh, we would like to our little children to learn how to be steadfast, amen, <laughs> sitting in their seats and not moving about. And uh, we just had a field trip with four-year-olds. You know you're saved when you take four-year-olds on a field trip to pick apples and you make it back alive, amen. <laughs> and <laughs> I mean, those voices, yeah, 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 it's just like, man, can't you get a lower volume or not? Even a lower tone would be okay. Saying, yeah, 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 yeah. That'd be great, you know? <laughs> always fidgeting, always moving around. You know, whatever you're doing, they want to do something else. That's why we are as Christians, though. Let's be honest about it. There are these times God just wants us to sit still and, and meditate on him. There's those times in our life God just wants us to be still and know that he's God. There are those times when he doesn't want us running around doing every little thing that we feel that we, it's necessary that we do it to get done. He just wants us to be steadfast. And, uh, you know, I've seen a lot of people in the 35 years I've been saved, I've seen a lot of people that come up with a lot of ideas who jump off the ship real quick to go do whatever it is, and they don't last long. They just stop. They fizzle out real fast. And I, sometimes I wonder, I just feel like saying, you know, the Bible says you're supposed to be steadfast. Why don't you just stay still for a little bit? Why don't you just stay where you're at? Why don't you just stop running around? The grass is not greener on the other side of the fence. And your Christian not life is not better because you try to get yourself more busy in it. Your Christian life is better because you learn how to be steadfast and rest in our Lord. 
and just be faithful, developing those character traits and habits in our life of how we enjoy the presence of God. So be steadfast. Notice he says unmovable. And so the next fill in is just unmovable. It means to be fervently or firmly persistent, unmovable. And just setting the course and staying the course and uh, not giving up uh, in your Christian life. There's people you're witnessing to right now and they're not saved and you think they never will be saved, but you need to be unmovable. You still need to be heading that course to try to bring them to Christ. Uh, your, your children may be going astray or they may be desiring to do things that, that aren't uh, scriptural or godly. Uh, you need to be unmovable as a parent, as a grandparent. You need to be unmovable. If it was right to stand on the word of God 40 years ago, then it's right to stand on the word of God today. But we developed this concept that, wait a minute, we can change those practices in our Christian life because of the fact we'll be more effective to reaching this generation. And the reality is this generation is running away from God faster than any generation has. And I think it's because of the fact that we've forgotten the abundant life involves this matter of being steadfast, but also being unmovable. And people need to see your faithfulness to Christ and your dedication to being a Christian and living a life that acts out, as you will, the reality of the knowledge of Christ and the presence of Christ and the power of Christ that is in you. And so he says you need to develop this concept of being unmovable. And uh, so steadfast, unmovable. Then he says here, always abounding. So be always. And uh, that means to be at all times. So that, that means there's never a time in your life, there is, I'm sure there is, there is in my life, but there should not be ever a time when we are not steadfast or when we're not, uh, where we're not unmovable. We should always be solid in our life and in our, in our devotion to our God. And uh, th that, that means whether we're in church or whether we're home, whether we're with family, whether we're not with family, whether we're on the job, whether we're with the unsaved, whether we're with the saved, whatever, whatever the environment is, whatever the situation is, they need to see that you always are living your life for Christ. And when people see that you're always living your life for Christ, you start living that abounding life. And I'll never forget my sister-in-law got saved just because of the fact she watched my wife and I go off to Bible college with nothing. And we had all kinds of problems and we had to pray for food and all kinds of things. I mean, you name it, we went through it and we just, we were happy. We rejoiced in the Lord. And she called my wife and told her, she said, I don't know what you got. She said, but you're always happy. You're always rejoicing. You have nothing. And yet you, you're always happy. She said, I don't know what you have, but I want it. And I'll tell you, when that takes place, you know that you're entering into this abundant life. Our lives should be so overflowing with the reality that we're always living for and excited for Christ that it flows from us to others and impacts their life. We ought to be abounding. And so we are not only... 
always, what we always need to be abounding. That means to exceed a fixed number or measure. In other words, God wants you every day, I believe, to excel beyond where you are. And uh, I've always felt that uh, I don't know what the Lord wants me to do or what he wants to accomplish in my life, but I don't want to be satisfied with today. I want to be able to do something else tomorrow. I want to be able to go beyond in my Christian life tomorrow. I, I don't want to be satisfied with status quo. I don't want to coast along. And I, I told my wife, we were riding and we were talking, I don't know, a few weeks ago, months ago, could be several years ago now, the way my mind works. <laughs> but we were talking, I told her, I said, you know what, I just feel like doing something big for God. And she said, well, what are you talking about? I said, I don't know. I don't know what I'm talking about. I said, just, I believe there's just something bigger, greater, stronger, more exaggerated to do for God. And I don't want to miss out on it. And she told me, she said, you wear me out. You know, and we just need, we need to be always abounding. I don't want to just get by in my Christian life. I don't want to come to the end of the day and get ready to lay my head on the pillow and say, well, I just made it through this day. I want to be able to get, be able to lay my head on the table, on the table. I mean, on the, wherever it is, I can sleep. Amen. <laughs> Maybe on the bus steering wheel. I don't know. Just where I can lay my head. I want to be able to lay it down and say, you know, this, this was a great day today. I learned some things about Christ. I entered in to an abundant life in the knowledge of who Christ is. That's what our Christian life is supposed to be about. It's not about living a life that is drudgery. Oh, man, i got to go to church. It's Wednesday night. <laughs> no. It's all to be, my goodness, this is exciting. I can go study the Word of God. We can spend some time praying for each other. We can enter into the presence of God. That's the abundant life. Then he says here, always abounding, and he says, in the work of the Lord. So that means to be committed to the work. Abounding in the work of the Lord. We're identifying what the work is. It's the Lord's work. It's not our work. The word work there just means a business or occupation. It's beyond what your professional business or occupation is. It's the business or occupation of the work of God. We're supposed to be abounding in the work of God. And enjoying the work of God. And, and it's exciting to be in ministry. It's exciting to do ministry. And uh, I, I'll tell you, I've had a time in my life since I've been saved. I really have. I've met so many different Christians at different places and just experienced so many different things. And uh, it, it is great to be able to be used of God and talk about God and share God with others and enjoy the work together. So it's an act, you know, hey, tomorrow the building's going to have to be clean. Why? It was clean today and everybody's here tonight. You're going to dirty it up. We got to clean it again. So we got to get excited about cleaning the building tomorrow. We got to get excited because the belts on the bus that runs the air conditioner is slipping. And so somebody's got to fix it. Amen. And so it's an exciting idea. It's the work of the Lord. Uh, we got, we got, we got to teach the kids tomorrow. We got to get ready for church on Sunday. I mean, it's a great thing to be able to get involved in the work of the Lord. Just keep getting involved in the work of the Lord. What, what are you involved in in the work of God? 
Because there is something God wants you to do. I do not believe, I really do not believe with all my heart, I do not believe that God saves us just to sit around and do nothing. There are physical limitations that we have. There may be mental uh, limitations that we have. There may be vocal uh, limitations that we have. But whatever the limitations are, there's an abounding side. There's a bounding experience that we can have as we enter into the work of the Lord. And so that's living that abundant life. And then it's to refuse to be weary. And Noah says that, uh, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. So he's just saying this, don't be weary. Oh, um, Galatians chapter 6, it says, oh, um, uh, what does it say? I just lost it. Amen. Um, what is it? Huh? I thought it was in the book of Hezekiah. Galatians, be steadfast, unmovable. No, that's 1 Corinthians. Uh, Galatians chapter five, 6 and verse 9. This is one of the verses I memorized 20 years ago. Oh, yes, let us not be weary. That word weary should have been a key for me. Amen. Let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall faint. Uh, we shall reap if we faint not. Amen. Woohoo! Get these things in line here. So, refuse to be weary. And uh, I was talking with a student the other day, struggling with some situations in his life, really just getting disconnected, not paying attention in school. And I just pulled him alongside and I told him, I said, I want to talk to you for a little bit. And uh, I said, what's the matter? He said, I just got a lot of things going on in my life right now. I can't pay attention in class. I said, well, you're going to pay attention in class. Now, that's not an option. You have to pay attention in class. And so we were talking for a little bit, and I told him, he's an athlete, and I told him, I said, listen, I said, uh, well, you play basketball, you play football, you play whatever sports it is, you play soccer. I said, you play all these sporting events, who needs different things, you're an athlete. I said, when you're on the field or you're on the court, are you thinking about your problems that you have? Are you thinking about the struggles that you're going through? Uh, he said, well, no. I said, no, because you're focused on the game. You're focused on the goal. You're focused on making that shot. You're focused on running across the touchdown. That's what your focus is. And I said, and you don't get tired in the process. And I said, and that's what you need to do in your Christian life right now as a young man. You need to get focused on Christ. You need to get focused on the goal. You need to get focused on the prize. And that goal and that focus and that prize is your test that's coming up tomorrow. Amen. And if you do not focus on that test that is coming up, you're going to fail on that test. And many a Christian never enters into a life that is abundant because we don't keep our eyes on the excellencies of Christ. We don't keep our eyes on the way that we're supposed to be living, and we allow ourselves to distract it, get distracted, and we become weary in well-doing. And then when we become weary in well-doing, then we fall by the wayside, and we miss out on the abundant life. 
And I don't want to be weary. I want to be able to get up in the morning, put my feet on the floor, and get going. And I'll tell you, sometimes then it's not too good to get out of bed anymore. I'm finding it's getting harder to get out of bed. And uh, so, I, but I want to be able to get up and get going every day. Dietrich Bodenhofer said this, God does not give us everything we want, but he does fulfill his promises, leading us along the best and straightest paths to himself. And I think that's the key in that quote in reference to the abundant life. The living an abundant life is that I'm going towards the prize. I'm going through the goal. I'm going to achieve the reward. And that reward is not so much what I'm going to get in heaven. That reward is Jesus himself. And when I connect with Christ himself, everything else falls in the line. And boy, all of a sudden now, man, I got a different outlook on life. All of a sudden now, man, my life starts living a life that's a pattern. I'm going to get up in the morning. I'm going to read my Bible. I'm going to take time to pray. I'm going to find people that I can talk to uh, throughout the day about the Lord, whether it be saints of God to encourage and edify, or whether it be a sinner who needs to be saved. I'm going to be joyful. I'm going to be excited. I'm going to be thrilled because of the fact that my life is consistently hid in Christ, and it's about him. All of a sudden, now life is different. I know one thing, when I got saved, one of the greatest things that took place was the fact that before I was saved, I was just running like a rabbit or a roach or a, a, a rat or whatever in a cage running around, amen? Didn't have any purpose, didn't have any direction. It all depended on what mood I was in, where I was going, where I was heading, had no hope, had no assurance. But when I got saved, everything changed. And I'm going to tell you, my life habits changed. And the habits in my life put my feet on a path that has continued to direct me closer and closer and closer and closer to Christ. And I'm not close enough yet. But I want to live an abundant life. So I'm going to look to Christ. I want to gain the excellency of the knowledge of Christ. So abundant life. Number one, it's not a habit. Uh, it's an act. And so, is that what I said? Or I'd read it. It's, it's a habit, not an act. Wow, man, I'm really messing up here tonight. Man, I felt my life flash before my eyes. <laughs> It's not just a one-time act. It is a habit developing those consistencies in your life. Well, abundant life is also, it's a process of consistency. And I wanted to say it that way, a process of consistency. The reality is we're not consistent about anything, I don't think. But it is a process that we go through in living a consistent life with the Lord. In uh, Colossians, in uh, chapter 3 and verse 17 helps us to see this, this process of consistency involves in conversation and conduct. Uh, in Colossians chapter 3 and verse 17 says, For whatsoever you do in word, that's conversation, or deed, that's conduct, 
do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. And so if I'm going to live an abundant life, then that means in word, what I say has to be consistent. I, I can't be saying I'm a Christian today and then living like a heathen tomorrow. I can't be spewing out of my mouth that I love the Lord and then two hours later spewing out of my mouth curse words that mock the, the, the reality of who God is. Conversation, what I say. You know, I, I've seen over the years a lot of people who talk about being a Christian, but then the other aspect of it, the conversation doesn't match the conduct, the deed in which they do. And so we need to, I remember I was in Bible college, this fellow was a pastor up there. I'll never forget him. He drove bus with the bus company I did, uh, drove with, and uh, uh, he was a pastor of a local church there. His name was Jimmy, Jimmy Keys. I'll never forget him, Jimmy Keys. He had a mustache, and he had the one side of his mustache came down and formed a J for Jimmy. I'll never forget him, Jimmy Keys. Mustache, J on the side. And <laughs> he was a character. And uh, I, I tell you, he and I spent some good time together when we were running charters or something. We had to be at the same place, and we would spend time praying with each other. And, and, but he just, his language, he was a pastor of a church, and he, every other word was a curse word. And I finally told him, I said, Jimmy, man, you need to clean up your mouth. He said, what do you mean, brother? I said, man, you, you're, your conversation is that you're a Christian, but your conduct how you're talking and communicating is not showing that you're a Christian. I said, I'm not doubting your salvation. You told me how you got saved. You trusted Christ as your Savior. And if he's changed your life, then he needs to change your language. I understand what it, the problem is with vulgarity and cursing because I had a problem with that. But God gives us a new language. And our conversation needs to match our conduct. So if we're talking like a Christian, we're talking about Christ, we're talking about God, then bless God, we better be acting like we're with God. Because we want to live an abundant life, and that abundant life involves both conversation and deed. And so it's more than just saying it, it is living it. And notice it's a, uh, it, it's a process of consistency. We'll have to stop with this one. In family and industry, in Colossians chapter 3, verse 18, Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as it is fit in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and be not bitter against them. Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well um, pleasing unto the Lord. Fathers, provoke not your children to anger, uh, lest they be discouraged. And uh, then he goes on in verse 22, servants obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service as men pleasers, but in singleness of heart fearing God. And so it's a process. Abundant life is a process of consistency, not just in my conversation and my conduct, but with my family and my industry. In other words, in my home. I'm going to be what I am when I'm in church. And on my job, 
I'm going to be what I am in church. Whether, whether it be as a spousal relationship, we need to relate to one another according to the scriptures and according to the way the Bible says that men and women are to respond to one another. I understand that absolutely does not go along with political correctness in the world that we live. But in order to live an abundant life as a Christian, then that means I have to literally live my life in accordance with the word of God. Parents to children. You know, the biggest problem I see with children nowadays is the parents won't be parents. They just won't be parents. And you know, they won't be consistent. One day they'll go off on it, they'll get excited about it, and they just need to be consistent in living their life for the Lord. And uh, servants need to be on the job, doing their job the way Christ would have us to do our job. So family and industry. So the abundant life involves this matter of um, not just acting on a spare of a moment, but building up a habit in living your Christian life and then establishing a process of consistency no matter where you are or what you're doing, your conduct matches your conversation, whether you're on your family or whether you're on the job or wherever you're at or whatever you're doing, there is that pattern of consistency that is established there. Well, we need to pray tonight.